I believe Neil talked this morning about us being a congregation that is a busy one, and today has been no exception to that. You think about the balancing act that life is, and weeping with those that weep, and rejoicing with those that rejoice, and we've had a day of that on several accounts, and um, today's been one of those days. It's been a busy and long Sunday, but it's been a good one, and I appreciate your interest in spiritual things and being here for our lesson tonight, and also appreciate Mike leading us in the song that he led us right before this service. He told me he was going to lead that song tonight in view of our lesson, and I'm glad he did. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, (coughs) red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Those aren't just words to a song. Those words describe the Savior that we read about on the pages of the New Testament. If you think about Jesus's interaction with people throughout the Gospels, you just take a survey of those interactions. Just think about percentage wise how much of that involved his interaction with children. Matthew 18, three through five, he says, unless you humble yourself and become like little children, you won't enter the kingdom. On one occasion, parents were bringing their children to Jesus so he could pray for them, pray over them. And the disciples tried to push them away as if Jesus had better or more important things to do. And he says, no, suffer the little children. Let them come to me because to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus raised a widow's son at Nain in Luke 7, 11 through 17. He used the bag boys lunch in John 6 to feed 5000 people. On another occasion, a woman comes up to him in Mark chapter seven, and she says her daughter's ill and Jesus heals her from a distance. Jesus, he loved and cared about children, and we should as well. If we're going to be Jesus's disciples, the things that matter to him must also matter to us. You read throughout the Bible and there's this talk about praying for children. One of the worst things that could happen to a woman in the ancient world was in her estimation or in their estimation for her to be unable to bear children. And so you find prayers in the Bible where individuals, husbands and wives together and sometimes separately are praying that they might be able to bear children. Hannah says in first Samuel chapter one and verse twenty seven for this child, I prayed. And you've got individuals like Isaac praying for his wife, Rebecca, in Genesis twenty five, twenty one, that she might bring forth a son. And in the opening chapters of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter one, 10 through 14, the angel appears to Zechariah when he's in the temple doing his priestly business and he says your prayer has been heard and there are these prayers that are offered up on behalf of children throughout scripture and God often honored and blessed those prayers but tonight what I want us to think about is something just a little bit different from that and that is how should we pray for our children and our grandchildren once they get here or maybe if they're on the way what are some of the specific prayers that we should pray and I'm going to offer several tonight some of these will be very specific things that I think we should pray and some of these will be a little bit more broad and you know your family your life you'll have to go back in and add in the details and fill in the things that apply directly directly to you but I want you maybe if you make notes you make a list of these and you can cycle through these throughout the week or throughout the month as you pray for those close to you now I know some people are wondering what about me I don't have children I don't have grandchildren Well, I give you permission tonight to spiritually adopt any child in the assembly that you want. okay? and you can pray for them. But more than that, there are people in your sphere of influence, nieces and nephews and cousins and loved ones that you know and care about. And they desperately need your prayers as well. And so tonight, what are some of the things that we should be praying or how do we go about praying for our children and grandchildren? Let's begin. Number one, we need to pray that we be bound together. In Genesis 44, this is a section in the Old Testament. Go ahead and turn your Bible there. Jake, Joseph's testing his brothers, you remember? And he wants to see if they've really had a change of heart and how they treat him and the siblings. And so in Genesis 44 and verse 12, he puts a a cup in the sack of his brother Benjamin. 
And of course, that means for Benjamin, Benjamin's not going to get to go home. Genesis 44, 12, the sack's in his cup. He's not going home. They begged their father, Jacob, to let him take the youngest boy with him. And now he won't be able to come back. It's at this point that Judah speaks up and begins to plead in behalf of Benjamin for his freedom. One of the things he says about why Joseph should release Benjamin is because in verse 31, if we don't come back with him, Our father will just drop dead and he'll die because he cares that much about the boy. But notice verse 30 and the phrase that's used about his father's relationship to Benjamin. He says, for his life is bound up with the lad. And that's what I want to say in our first point. What should we pray or how should we pray for our grandchildren and our children? Number one. Pray that our lives be bound together with theirs. What does that mean? This word bound up, it means to be knit together, to be close, to be joined. It's the same word used in 1 Samuel 18, 1 about Jonathan and David. Their souls were knit together and they loved one another with a deep and fervent love. And we should pray this for our children and grandchildren, that our lives will be linked with theirs, that there will be a closeness and a harmony between them and between us all the days of their lives and our lives, that we'll have a strong and rich relationship that we'll be bound to them through as many cords and tethers as is possible, and that our relationship will be rich and strong. I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson. He was giving a podcast about something along these lines, and he said this is a mistake that sometimes Christian parents make. He says you need to be bound through as many cords as possible, but sometimes we are only bound through that which we deem is spiritual. And he says that's a mistake because the time may come in their life when that cord is severely strained. Maybe they're having a crisis of faith. Maybe they're struggling with who they are in relation to God. Or maybe they want to cast Christianity off altogether. And his point was, if that's the only cord and tether that you have, when it's under great stress and strain, you'll lose them. But what if there are more cords? Now, listen, if you can only be bound through one, the one that should be at the top of the list is Christianity. But thanks be to God, there are more. And we should be bound through every means that we can. You think about people in the Bible that did this. Now, I'm not telling you Isaac and Rebecca were the best parents, but you've got to give them credit. They knew their boys and they wanted to be involved in their lives. Genesis 25, 27 through 28. Esau was a man that was a hunter and his father loved him. And Jacob was a man. The ESV says he was quiet and his mother, Rebecca, loved him. They knew their kids and they wanted to be involved. Pray that you will be bound and close to your children and grandchildren. What does that mean? It means if she likes tea parties, we like tea parties. It means if he likes toys and trucks, we like toys and trucks. If he likes science and technology, we're going to get interested in that. And baseball and football, fight against the tendency to make your loves their loves. Let them develop and cultivate their own personality to be themselves. Amos says, I wasn't raised in a prophetic family, Amos 7, 14 and 15, but God called him to that office and he was able to exercise it. Our children and grandchildren may come to love and like things that we don't naturally find ourselves tied to. But if we're going to be bound to them, we need to become deeply invested and interested because children have this knack for learning when we don't care about the things that they care about. And unfortunately, they know how to repay the favor. The boys tell Joseph his life is bound up in the child so much so that if we don't come back with him, he'll just drop dead. He loves this boy and their lives are knit together and we should pray the same prayer. That our lives will be bound and knit close together with our children, that we'll be tight, that we'll be close to one another, that we can build a deep and rich relationship that will last all their lives. That their interests will become our interests, that we'll be invested in the things that they're invested in. In another point, we'll say more about the prodigal son, but appreciate this. I know it's a parable, but in Luke 15, when he's in the far country, what does he say? The Bible says he came to himself and he says, I know my father. 
He has hired servants, and they have bread enough in despair. I'll rise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned before heaven and before thee. Notice, he doesn't go home to be saved. He really went home to survive. And the reason why he went home is because he and his father were tied and tethered together through more than one cord. And he realized the kind of man that his father was, and he said, I can, I can go home and rekindle the relationship. Pray that you would be bound, that we be bound together with them. Here's number two. Pray that they be faithful to Christ. You knew this one would be on the list. That they would come to know and love Jesus Christ. And this is a prayer that's important to pray, but it's also a scary one because they have free will and there's very little that we can do to impact or make them make decisions. But we can lead them. Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. As early and as often as we can, we need to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, teach them when you're in the house, when you walk by the way, when you rise up, when you lie down. Fill them up with the word of God and with the love of God and pray to God that they'll be faithful. When they get to make their own decisions, that they will choose to walk with and follow Jesus Christ. That they'll want to serve him and love him all the days of their life. Pray for your children and grandchildren to be faithful to God because it matters. Shaquille O'Neal's professional basketball player, or was he won four championships, three with the Los Angeles Lakers and one with the Miami Heat. He's famous for a lot of things. He's his net worth right now is about four hundred million dollars. He earned most of that money through basketball and through other sports ventures. He's a sportscaster, entrepreneur, did music, did some acting. He gets laughed at sometimes because he was on a panel once and they were asking him about his children. He says, sometimes my children get mad at me because I've got this habit of telling them we ain't rich. I'm rich. He says, listen, we ain't rich. I'm rich because here, here's the thing. He says, I'm not giving them anything. He says, I want to see two degrees or something before I pour into their ventures and the things they're interested in. I tell them all the time, I'll support you and whatever you want. And if you develop and do things that matter to you and you succeed, then I'll pour into your dreams. But I'm not giving you anything. You've got to earn it. You may be spiritually wealthy. But your kids won't naturally be spiritually rich unless they own it themselves. Pray to God that they will own their own faith, that they'll make it serious and make it their own. They won't be able to borrow from you as much as you would wish that would be the case. They're going to have to make their own decisions. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart. It is never too early to start praying right now that they'd obey the gospel. Acts 26 and verse 29, Paul stands before Agrippa and he says, I wish that not only you, but all that hear me this day were not almost, but all together, just like I am, except for these chains. Be praying right now that they would decide to follow Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter how young they are. They may still be in the womb, be begging God now that when they hear the gospel, they won't fight against it. They won't resist it, but instead that they'll comply. And when they comply, that their lives will be linked to the New Testament and they will follow Jesus all the days of their life, that they'll choose to be faithful, that they'll develop their own faith and grow and launch out into the deep and challenge themselves beyond their spiritual comfort zone. Pray that they would be faithful to Jesus as they grow up. And maybe your schedules make it so that your lives are going in two different directions. Pray that less time with you doesn't equate to less time with God, that they'll walk in wisdom and make the best use of the time. Ephesians 5:16, because it matters. Pray for their faithfulness to Jesus Christ and that they will develop and love God. You know, it's interesting. 
that David and Solomon have this relationship. And in First Chronicles 22, 11 and 12, David begs God for his son to have wisdom. You remember that prayer? First Chronicles 22, 11 and 12, he says, I hope that you will have discretion and understanding. And later on, Second Chronicles chapter 1, 7 through 10, what does Solomon pray for when God gives him a blank check? He prays that he might have what? Wisdom to govern the people. What a blessing when our, chil- our prayers for our children and grandchildren become their prayers for themselves. David was in paradise, but it had to be the happiest day of his life because Solomon got it. He realized what mattered and he made it a priority. Pray that your children be faithful to Christ. Maybe you have this in your home. Some people have this. They've got the the wall marked with how tall a child was at this age and at this stage and you were this old. And we might wish that we can track their spiritual progress that way. And we should to the best of our ability that they would grow up into Jesus Christ and be the person that he wants them to be. Pray for their faithfulness to Jesus. Now, here's number three. Pray that they have good friends. You've heard it once. You've heard it a thousand times. He was faithful until he got around those folks. She was I taught her everything. She knew the truth. And then all. and we'll have another lesson another time about free will and decisions and choices that people make. But let's just embrace this reality and not kick back against it. We are our influences. Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says a friend loves at all times and a brother was is born for adversity. Evil companions do corrupt good morals. First Corinthians 15, 33. But good companions reinforce good morals. Joash is king in Second Chronicles 24. And in verse two, it says he was faithful to God all the days that Jehoiada was the high priest. Why is that the case? He was surrounded by good friends. Pray that they will make good decisions about the kinds of people that are around them and that influence them. The kinds of people that in your absence will echo the things that you've said and not silence those things that they'll make good associations. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25 says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man. You shouldn't go lest you learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. Pray for their friends and their associations, the people that will be around them, that they'll support them in things that are good and push them against the things that are wrong. Pray for the kinds of folks they're going to be around. Solomon was interested in his money, his gold, his alliances with foreign nations and his thousand female friends and relations. And we never know what Israel's history could have been if he would have spent time praying for his son, Rehoboam, and the kinds of friends that he would have. Because after Solomon dies and is off the scene, Rehoboam has a decision to make. And you remember how it goes? There's a younger group of folks that say, hey, you ought to tighten the grip on these people. And the older folks say, if you loosen it, they'll serve you all the days of your life. And Rehoboam made the wrong decision. And part of it was because he was surrounded by the wrong kinds of people. Pray for their friends. Pray that they'll know what a true friend is. We live in a time now where you can click a friend or tap a friend in and remind them of what true friendship is all about. Friends today are made the same way they've always been made through shared interests, through time spent, through love shared and through care given. And pray that they learn what that's like and what that means and that they'll be a good friend as well. Proverbs 18, 24 says a man that has friends must show himself friendly. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Pray for the kind of people that will be around them even if they're not Christians, that they will have sort of godly principles that will pull them in the right direction and point them toward God. Be praying that prayer. Pray it every single day for the kinds of friends that they'll be around, because in the end, it'll make them or break them. Here's the next one. Pray that they learn how to handle persecution. Second Timothy, chapter three and verse 12 says, yes, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We probably wish this wasn't the case, but it probably will be in our lifetime that we'll see more persecution, even if it's not physical than previous generations. Jesus said they hated me and they'll hate you. John 15 and verse 18. 
as our world, especially our country, becomes more post-Christian, pray that they will have a strong backbone and be able to stand up against opposition. As our faith is mocked and as we're ridiculed for believing things that are in the Bible, pray that they won't give up, that their faith won't be flimsy and that they won't cower in because things are difficult. Last year, I was doing a gospel meeting in Alabama and there was this house every night. We went to the preacher's house and different families came in for a meal. And one day there was this woman. She came in with her husband and we were talking about this very thing. And she said, you know, I'm scared for my grandkids because of the times in which we live. And she said, I'm scared for your children, too. I hate to be raising children right now. And she just talked over and over again about the fact that we should be very concerned, but more than concerned, that we should be deeply afraid of what's going on. And finally, I told her what our children need more than they need the fair weather conditions that we were raised in. They really need a deep and vibrant relationship with the God who's going to be there through all times. We should be praying for our children, not really that the world's going to go their way, but that they're going to stick with God even when it's difficult to do so. Persecution may come, but pray that they won't give up just because things are difficult, that they won't give in, that they won't go with the crowd, but instead they'll hold fast. What does Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7? God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but power and of love and of a sound mind. That just because they're struck with hardship, that they won't give up, but instead that they'll hold firmly and tightly to their convictions and to their faith. Pray that they learn how to handle persecution, that they don't let it turn them sour toward the Christian faith or to give in, but instead that they'll press on and be stronger than they would have been otherwise. Here's the next one. Pray that they know the way home. I pray that we never have to pray this prayer and that they're never in this situation. But if they are, I pray that they will know their way home. Turn your Bible to Luke 15. This is the chapter of the (coughs) prodigal son. I told you we'd come back to this. Luke 15, we read about a boy who takes his father's goods. This is a famous parable, probably Jesus' most famous parable. But notice Luke 15, 17 through 19. The young boy comes to himself and he says, how many of my father's servants have bread enough and to spare? I'll arise and go to my father and say, father, I've sinned before heaven and in your sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called your servant. Make me no, no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Pray that if your children ever happen to stray from the Lord, that they'll know their way home, that they'll know that they can come home, that they'll know that God will receive them back through repentance, confession and prayer. They're not too far gone to be received back, that God will have them back, that God longs to forgive. First John one and verse nine, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. That means he's reliable and he will do it because he's just and righteous to forgive their sins. Be praying this prayer now. That I hope they never go astray, but that if they go astray, that we put so much gospel seed in them that it will make it uncomfortable for them to live a life of sin and that their conscience will not let them live in peace until they come home and do what they know is right. Pray that they know the way home. There's an old preacher story about a young boy that was playing in his front yard and his mom and dad told him, stay close to the house. Don't go far. But one thing led to another. He was on the next street and the next street. And eventually he's so far away from home. It's getting dark. The street lights are coming on. And he says, I got to get home. And he finally asked a stranger for a ride. And the stranger says, I'll give you a ride home. He says, what's your address? The boy says, I don't know. He says, what's your parents name? I don't know. What color is your house? Do you know the number on your house? No, I don't know. Well, how am I going to take you home? You don't know your family. You don't know the color of your house. You don't know your address. He says, you see that big cross there? I live right there. I live right near that church. And if you just keep driving and if you get toward the cross, I'll get home. And however true or untrue that story may be, if they can just get to the cross, if they remember where the cross is and how much blood was shed and how much God loves them, They can find their way home no matter how far they stray, no matter what they've done, how much of it they've done. Pray to God that they'll learn to find their way home. 
Romans chapter nine, Paul prayed for the Jews and he says, I pray, God, that they would know how much that they've been loved and how much you desire to save them. Romans 10 and verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Paul says, I want my Jewish kinsmen in the flesh to be saved, to know that they can come to you. Pray for your children and grandchildren that if something ever happens through drugs or addiction, through relationships, through a spouse, job, career or money, if something happens that causes them to drift far away from the Lord, that they'll remember that they're loved and that they can come home and that God will gladly have them back and that you will as well. Pray for them that their heart will be pricked and stirred by the things they've been taught over the years, that all the camps, all the Bible studies, all the sermons, all the home devos, all of that stuff will be called to their mind in their deepest and darkest moments, and they'll realize, I really don't have to stay in the far country. There's a heavenly father that loves me and a church family that wants me to come home and that they'll make it their way there. I hope we never have to pray this prayer, but if we do, I hope we have the heart and the boldness to pray it. Here's the next one. I didn't tell you how many points tonight, and that was on purpose. (laughs) Pray that you'll have courage. This prayer's for you. This one isn't for them. Pray that you would have courage to do the things that you need to do and that I need to do as a parent. You know, I was thinking about this lesson as I was writing it and I said, you know, I know this lesson's being recorded and my parental file is still loading. So I know in like 10 years, somebody may say, Harm, you flunked at all the stuff you talked about tonight, but it's still going to be true. And especially on this one, this prayer isn't about them. It's for you. Pray that you would have the courage to do hard things as a parent. Turn your Bible to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, and notice this should say 13 and 14, but we'll give you 13 as well. Proverbs 23 and verse 13 says, do not withhold correction from your child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you'll save his soul from Sheol or from the grave. Listen, there's a fine line between abuse and discipline, but children need discipline. It's a hallmark of who God is as our Heavenly Father that he disciplines us as his children. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 says, if you don't receive chastisement from God, it means you're an illegitimate son. The fact that God disciplines us says we're his children and God cares about us. Revelation 3:19 it says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Pray for yourself that you will have the courage to make the hard calls even when it's difficult. I know grandparents don't have rules. Everything goes. But that taken too far can be criminal. It can be detrimental. Be sure that you'll be able to do the difficult things. Be sure that you will be able to pull the plug and to say things that they desperately need to hear. Be willing to discipline and that you won't let fear paralyze you to the point that you think if you don't say yes to everything, they won't like you or love you. That if you have to say no, we can't go there. We don't watch that. We don't say that. I know everybody else is doing it, but we don't do that. Pray that you will have the courage to make hard calls. And you may say to yourself, I don't have to pray that prayer. I know me and I know what I'm going to do. But when your heart gets tied up in things, your convictions get fuzzy. Brittany and I made a decision before we ever had kids. We don't know what everybody else is going to do, but our children, we're just not going to miss worship for sports or any. If it comes down to a decision, we're going to be in the Lord's assembly. Andre was in Florida. He was playing flag football, and it just so happened. Something happened with the schedule, and one thing led to another, and the playoff game is on a Sunday. It's his first season. He's starting on the team. The playoff game's on Sunday. I said, well, I've got to go tell this coach. I told him at the beginning of the season, if there's ever anything on a Wednesday or a Sunday, you can just count us out. I mean, we're going to be there. We'll be on the team. We'll be team parents, but anything on a Wednesday or a Sunday, we just can't do it. Playoff game's on a Sunday. I've got to tell this coach, Andre won't be able to be present in the game. I get to the field. And I start having those second thoughts. I'm thinking, 
You know, it is just a game. I mean, it's one game. What's one game? What's one service? It's just one service. About that time, a member from South Florida Avenue where I preach, her name's Sierra. Her sons played on a, a higher team, an older age group. They played tackle, starting running back. She's walking toward me. I said, how's it going, Sierra? She said, things are going fine. I said, what are you doing? She said, I just talked to my boy's coach. I told him, Cameron and Kaylin, they're going to play the first half. But Sunday night, we're going to worship, and they just won't be there. She got it. And it hit me. It is just a game. It's just one Sunday. It's just one day. And I preach this, and I need to be able to practice it. And I told her, you helped me. You helped me make a decision that I thought I had already made. But you see, emotions got involved and things get fuzzy. Pray that you can make hard calls. It may not be what everybody else does. Pray that you can discipline and that you'll realize I'm doing this for their good. Joshua 1.9, Joshua was to be strong and to be courageous. And sometimes we backpedal. We're fearful. We're timid. And we don't want to do the hard things that we know that we need to do. And we compromise. If you're still in Proverbs 23, look at verse 26. Solomon says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Pray that you will have the courage to live out the Christian life, that you'll be a person of conviction, that you'll be a person that can apologize when you're wrong, that they will see you live gracefully and dedicated and faithful to God. Pray that you'll have the courage to live out what you say you believe right before them because they are watching you. Pray that you can say Proverbs 23, 26 to them, not because you're perfect, but because you're persistently faithful. You're going to need courage. I'm going to need courage. Pray that we'll be able to encourage one another and make the hard calls and make the difficult, make the difficult decisions. And here's the last one. Pray that they come to know the love of Christ. Kelly says that's number seven. It is. It is. Pray that they will come to know the love of Christ. Paul prayed this for the Ephesians. Ephesians 3:19, that they know the love of Christ, to know the depth and length and breadth and height, know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Pray that they come to know it, that they know how much they are loved by almighty God and that it'll make a difference in their lives, that they're loved with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31, 3. That God so loved them, John 3, 16, that if they were the only person here, Jesus still would have came and gladly come to do it because he loved them that much. Pray that the love of God shapes them in such a way that on their darkest days, they remember no matter what goes on on earth in heaven, they are greatly beloved and that that never changes. They can't outrun God's love or outlive it or outrun it. God loves them and embraces them. That that will shape their hearts, that they'll have a humility to say, I'm not better than anybody else. Proverbs 3.34, God embraces the humble, but he scorns the scornful. Pray that they'll have a proper view of themselves. That they'll reject self-hate that says, you know what? I don't know why I'm here. I don't have any value. I don't like the way God's made me. I don't like who I am. Psalm 139, 13 and 14, that they'll remember that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That they'll, the love of Christ will shape them in such a way they'll have a proper handle on material possessions and that they will remember that relationships and people are always more important than things. That they can really pour out their heart to God, Psalm 62 and verse 8, and that they will. As much as you would hope this won't be the case, and I wish it wasn't the case for my children as well, but this is the reality. They will experience heartbreak and disappointment. You can do all you want to try to shield them from it, but it will be their reality just as it has been ours. And pray that in those moments, because of heartbreak and disappointment, when the world tries to harden them and teach them not to love or maybe not to love is hard because it's a dangerous enterprise to enter into, that they will love still because they've been loved first. First John four and verse 19. Pray that when they learn how much God loves them, it changes everything about them. Because this world, for everything else that it's trying to do, it is trying to siphon the love out of our hearts and make us cold and hard. But pray that the love of Christ motivates them in such a way that they draw near to God.
Jesus does love the children. He loves all children. He wants everybody to be saved. First Timothy two, four, second Peter three and verse nine. And that should be our desire as well. Jesus holds children up as the example of what everybody should desire for their hearts if they would ever enter the kingdom. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for them every day. You say, I don't have children. I don't have grandchildren. Spiritually adopt and pray and beg God for their spiritual development for their love of Jesus Christ, that we'll be bound together with them with as many cords as possible, that if they ever stray, they know the way home, and that they never forget how greatly loved they are in heaven. Maybe tonight someone needs to become God's child. We'd love to assist you in that. Paul says we become his children when we're baptized into Christ and put him on. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. If we can help you, we'd love to do that for you tonight. If we can pray with you or pray for you, we'd be happy to do that as well. Mike's going to lead us in a song to encourage us. If you need to respond, come now as together we stand and as we sing.